How can we as healthcare practitioners move from just providing disease management to providing true healthcare? That is the question, and this is the answer. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast that helps you grow your practice and expand your skills as a practitioner. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for wellness-minded people and professionals who are passionate about transforming our broken, disease-focused system into a true healthcare system and empowering millions of people to go from disease and dysfunction into living the best life they possibly can. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, and I passionately believe that all disease can be prevented or reversed. So if you've been working with people on correcting adrenal dysfunction and you've wondered whether fasting could be helpful, this episode is for you. So before we get started, I just want to remind you about the free adrenal resource guide that I created for you and you can download it at www.reinventhealthcare.com forward slash adrenals. It's got all kinds of great checklists and assessments and things that you can use in your practice. Today, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We have my friend and mentor, Kyle Gray. Kyle is here to ask questions and he is what we would consider an ideal client. He's really, really dedicated to knowing what's going on in his body and he just suggested that he come in and ask me the questions and we could talk about it from a client perspective as well as like what is going on here. So today we're going to talk about fasting and whether it's good, bad, ugly. What is it for people who are suffering from adrenal dysfunction? Kyle is a story expert and he's really helped me to really perfect. Well, I don't know if perfect is the right word to you, but really we're working on it. We're working for it striving to perfect the stories that motivate and inspire people to take action and get inspired to take charge of their health. So Kyle is going to start with asking me some questions. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having me on here. And this is actually a topic that's near and dear to my heart as somebody who I've definitely suffered from adrenal fatigue and just getting the opportunity to immerse myself in the perspective of the patient and get to serve the community in this way is really like a unique and fun opportunity. So I'm equally excited. As far as adrenal fatigue goes, I know a lot about the space and I know a little bit about the space. One of the symptoms that I have a lot of time is sometimes I'll get up and I'll feel dizzy standing up too fast. And that's one of the most obvious telltale signs of adrenal fatigue for me. I'm a typical high achiever, hard charging, like to do a lot of work on the week. I travel a lot and work hard, play hard. And uh, even when I am relaxing, my ambitious mind makes it difficult to properly slow down sometimes. And so I know that these are all big contributors to adrenal fatigue in my life and the life of many of the people that you serve. And so I'd, first, I'd love to start off with just kind of a big overview of the adrenals and the system and how it all fits together in the grand scheme of our health. Yeah, absolutely. And we've been talking about this. We have a whole bunch of episodes before this one on adrenals. So we won't go really in depth, but I just want to review so the adrenals, the little walnut-sized, almond-sized glands that sit on top of our kidneys, and their job is to keep us alive, basically, to keep us safe in the face of danger. So they get involved with running away from hungry animals and running away from robbers in alleys. 
We don't do that very often. I don't know about you, but I haven't been assaulted by a hungry animal or even a robber in a dark alley recently. But we also get assaulted by the news on TV. We get assaulted by stress on the job. We get assaulted by that busy mind that just wants to keep going, even when we're trying to relax. So those are the glands that they get burned out. And we talked about how adrenal fatigue has kind of fallen out of favor in terms of describing it. It's more adrenal dysfunction or HPA axis dysfunction, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis dysfunction. It's a dysfunction in that system. You know, medicine will argue that there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue. It really is dysfunction of this system. It gets stressed, it gets worked on too much, and then it doesn't seem to work as well. And so we've talked about a lot of things in terms of how do we support it? How do we test adrenal function? So that's the big picture overview of where we've come. This is the second to the last in this adrenal theme on the podcast. And we're going to talk about the role of fasting with adrenal fatigue. And there's just a lot of information out there that says, oh, if somebody has adrenal dysfunction, it's not good for them to fast. And other people say, oh yeah, it is good to them for them to fast. Same way you'll hear, oh, it's not good for somebody with adrenal dysfunction to exercise. And then, oh yeah, it's very important. It's just choosing the right kind of exercise. That's exactly my experience. An incredible gut health practitioner told me, no fasting for you. And even avoid things like a ketogenic diet because we don't want to stress the adrenals too much. And sometimes as somebody like me, again, just like reflecting and expounding as an ideal client, I actually have learned a bit about fasting and it's kind of a popular thing these days. And sometimes it's nice to even use it as an excuse or kind of a health bypass of maybe I'll skip breakfast and now I'm intermittent fasting and not doing it in a conscious way. But I think that fasting and skipping meals. It sometimes could be a proxy for laziness, or I can even use it to pretend I'm being healthy, but not with a full awareness of my adrenals. And I think it's interesting to be able to reflect on that when speaking to clients like me. Absolutely. And there's different kinds. And you touched on intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating, and that's to limit your eating to a window. And that window could be 12 hours long. It could be six hours long. It just depends on you and what your situation is. And if you have gut health issues, getting away from food for longer periods of time can actually help the gut to heal. And it helps with what's called the migrating motor complex in your gut to be able to go, oh, let's move things along. But if we're eating constantly and we don't have a discrete window of eating, then we don't get that break. And gut dysfunction is one of the stressors that call upon the adrenals to help support us. So there's different types of approaches to it. And fasting is very beneficial. Fasting can help us to give a break to the digestive system. It can help the body, the mitochondria to go into a state of autophagy, you know, gobbling up old decrepit cells. It can help with blood sugar balance. But how does this affect the adrenals? You know, are there risks when somebody is in a state of adrenal dysfunction? And that usually comes up as a question. What I'm hearing is it's not always a good thing. It could be a great thing for some people if you know what you're doing, if you're with a great practitioner with a good process, but it could be very detrimental for some people. And particularly if you're just trying to bumble through this on your own, what are some of the ways that you can determine if fasting is a good move and personalize this on a client by client basis? Let's talk about the benefits of fasting and then 
how it can be detrimental in somebody who has adrenal dysfunction. We touched on it a little bit in that it gives some rest to the digestive tract. It improves insulin sensitivity and blood sugar regulation. So we keep a nice steady blood sugar and blood sugar dysregulation is a serious stressor for the adrenals. So that's a good thing when we have some adrenal dysfunction. It enhances the cellular repair process and autophagy. And for some folks, it could be helpful in weight loss. But then we think about people, like you said, doing it for the wrong reasons. If we're doing it for weight loss so that we can gorge on big meals of maybe some unhealthy foods and then we skip, that can create some eating disorders. So if someone has a history of eating disorders, fasting in general may not be a good approach unless it's done very, very carefully. They call it intermittent fasting. To me, I don't really like that term for what we do. It's more time-restricted eating. Every day, we're going to eat in this period of, like I said, six hours, eight hours, 12 hours, and allow the body to get into cellular repair during the fasting time. Body during the fed times doesn't heal. It just replenishes. And during the fasting time, that's when healing happens. So we want to be able to reduce the stress on the system. So eating less, eating is a stress on the system. And most people don't realize that. You have to activate that whole digestive process. And especially if you're not eating healthy foods and you're eating a lot of processed stuff, it's a big stress on the system. So here's the thing. There's some studies that show that fasting can normalize cortisol levels and other studies that show that fasting can bump up the cortisol levels. And that's where knowing the individual person and making decisions based on whatever lab testing we've done and also asking the right questions and listening to how do people feel when they skip a meal. If you skip a meal and you feel like you're going to pass out on the floor, you get jittery, that's a clear sign that you're stimulating a lot of cortisol and adrenaline because it's a stress on the system. So that's when we have to be careful about it. What about hangry? Hangry. Yep. That's it, right? You get, ah. I need food now. That's a sign that eh, there's probably some cortisol happening. It's going up. The adrenaline is going up. It's a stress on the system. The body says, hey, we're starving. Help. Let's fix this problem. And yeah, there's ways to ease into it. And we can talk about that as well. Like, how do you ease into it? But there's ways that can be detrimental if you just go from, you know, eating three meals a day plus two snacks and you go, hey, this intermittent fasting sounds really good let's try it. And the next day you eat two meals, like spaced eight hours apart. And in between, you're like a hungry bear. <laughs> you know, you just can't help that feeling of ah, overwhelm. And if that's happening, then that's a sign that you're overdoing it. And just like exercise, we can ease into it. If you go out and you lift weights and then you go running up and down stairs and all of a sudden like you're exhausted from that exercise and you can't exercise for two, three days after that, that's a sign that you exceeded your capacity in terms of your adrenal function. But if you go out and you do yoga, you walk around the block, maybe you do some little exercises with weights and you feel great afterwards and you can do it again the next day, then you haven't exceeded your capacity. And we all have to help our clients to find what is the right way for them. I think it's super important to do that. That personalization is super important. Does it work the same way as with fasting? Do we start with a small fast or maybe just cutting out certain foods and then kind of like what you mentioned with weights, a little bit of weights, then 
growing to something bigger or like doing a more bigger, more advanced fast? Absolutely. I'm a big fan of low and slow, whether it's supplementation, whether it's dietary changes, even taking away some of the bad stuff, like taking away coffee, for example. If somebody is like really addicted to coffee and they need it because their adrenals are dysfunctioning and they're not producing enough cortisol and they're not getting the energy they need in a circadian fashion, we can't just go in and say, okay, Mary, we're going to take away your coffee today. No, <laughs> we slowly ease them off of the bad stuff into the good stuff, and then we ease them into fasting. It's not the first thing I would do with somebody with adrenal fatigue, unless they come in and tell me, oh, I feel great when I fast. I feel awesome when I fast. And when I can fast on a regular basis, my energy gets better and better and better. Whereas other people that say, oh, I feel awful when I fast, I feel hangry, I feel, you know, agitated, I have palpitations, then we go slowly. So I'm a big fan of everything we do with our clients is low and slow. Small bites helps them to be able to do it and also helps the body and the biochemistry to adapt to it. One thing I have in terms of personalization, a question on is there's oftentimes a sequence of places of the body that we want to start with first. I've heard it said that the liver is the best place to start for a lot of people. Where is the adrenals in the sequence? You said you might not want to start with fasting right away. Um, is this pretty far down or do you want to address the adrenals really early on? That's a great question. So my personal system is I have drawn it out as a pyramid. The body systems are a pyramid and we have the things at the base and then the things at the top. And the things at the top usually are dependent on the things down below it. But at the really true base are our lifestyle habits, diet, sleep, mindfulness practices, outlook, including fun in the diet every day, environment, movement, all of those things are basic. So I like to help people work on getting those things in order. Somebody who's eating at McDonald's three times a day we're going to start with helping them to eat more home-based foods, less processed foods. People who are staying up till 2 a.m. trying to you know, get things done or watching TV or binging on Netflix, we want to talk about the sleep being so important. But was in terms of where the adrenals fit in, I look at the base of the pyramid in addition to the lifestyle just above that as being gut and blood sugar gut and blood sugar. And I look at the liver as part of the gut function. It is part of the digestive tract. It produces bile and helps the fat gets digested. And it also stores our vitamins and it also does the detox. So when we can address the gut and the blood sugar, and I've gone through phases of, I don't know which one is more important. I think it depends on the person. If somebody has relatively stable blood sugar, it's up and down and up and down the way it's supposed to, but their gut's a mess, I'd start with the gut. But if somebody has their blood sugars, like blah, you know, and they have that hangry stuff and they have a history of diabetes or insulin resistance, then I'm going to work with that. And usually I work with both of them at the same time. So, because the things that help to stabilize blood sugar can also help to stabilize the gut and vice versa, because that gut can create a stress in the system. Part of addressing adrenal dysfunction lies in the base, the, the lifestyle, getting them to do more mindfulness practices, getting people to slow down. And then once they do that and they get their gut and their blood sugar in balance, then we address the adrenals in terms of, oh, there's still some stuff going on here 
let's do some testing, let's do some adaptogens, let's look at the herbs and the nutrients that we need to do to fix them. But they're a little further up. And this reinforces a bigger part of the conversation that I've been hearing more and more of, which is it's almost impossible to treat one system at a time and that you have to be able to treat everything at the same time. And it's I think it's a big paradigm shift that I've been seeing is it's less on a specific symptom, even though we're talking about adrenals, and it's focusing on the very best opportunity to create results for the person, which doesn't sound like a different thing, but it's actually a really different thing. And you illustrate that really well in what you demonstrate here. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when you say that, I think, well, we're going to work on everything at the same time. What does that feel like to somebody? Oh my God, that's overwhelming. Especially somebody who's in a an adrenal, you know, HPA axis dysfunction at this point, their system's already overwhelmed. So we talk about little habits. So as health professionals, as practitioners, what I teach people in our programs is we do a really good evaluation. We ask the right questions and we determine from that where is the best place to start for this person. We may have somebody comes in and their, their adrenals are shot, but they're meditating three times a day well, what else is going on there that's causing that? So I think it makes sense to be a well-trained practitioner who knows the body systems, how they all fit together, how all the different glands and organs fit together, and then for each individual can make a decision as to where to start. One thing that we that's personally interesting to me, if it feels like a fitting segue, um, as somebody who has been working with and studying thyroid function for a long time, how do the adrenals impact thyroid function and how does this fit in with fasting as well? Great question. We have a whole episode, I think, on the thyroid adrenal impact. And here's the thing about the thyroid and the adrenals. The thyroid receptors are impacted by cortisol levels. So if our cortisol levels are too high or too low, the receptors that pull the thyroid hormone into the cell, because quite frankly, I don't care how much is in your blood, if it's not getting into your cells, it's not going to do you any good. So we have to look at how does cortisol impact the receptors for thyroid and how each cell is interacting. It also affects the conversion from T4, which is the inactive form of thyroid, into T3, which is the active, and it affects that conversion. And when we're under a lot of stress, the body will naturally make more reverse T3, which is the brakes, versus free T3, which is the accelerator, because we're trying to protect. How does fasting fit into that? Well, fasting could be very good for that, or it could be not so good for that. So we really have to individualize it. With fasting, short-term fasting, when we first go into fast, the body may perceive it as a stress. It's like, oh my God, we're starving. You know, let's produce more cortisol. Cortisol will then find sources of sugar. So we don't have sugar or any other fuel coming in during fasting. So how do we get the body to find some of that so we can fuel our activities? That causes cortisol to increase. And then when cortisol increases, then that puts stress on the system, but it releases stored sugar, which then causes insulin to go up. And it causes the body to try to get that sugar into the cells. What happens during fasting 
short term anyway, and before you really get into it, like say you decide all of a sudden you're going to do a 16 hour fast and usually you eat every two, three hours, your body's going to go starving, starving, starving. It's going to slow down. So it's going to increase the conversion from T4 into reverse T3, decrease the conversion into pre-T3. So you're putting on the brakes instead of the accelerator. That's going to affect the whole overall thyroid function. It can also cause temporary elevation of TSH because TSH is going, help, we need more thyroid. And it's going to increase that. So that's what fasting can do as well. So those are some of the interactions between the thyroid and the adrenals and how it impacts by fasting. The next place, which is a spot that I'm not as well versed in, but do hear discussed all of the time is HPA access dysregulation and how adrenal fatigue plays a role in that. Well, HPA means hypothalamic, pituitary, that's also up here, but more back here, and then adrenal axis. So when you have a stressor that hits you, the stressor then hits the pituitary, tells the pituitary to then stimulate the adrenals to produce adrenal hormone, cortisol, and adrenaline. And that's via a hormone called ACTH. So when we have dysfunction there, when we're, it's constant stress, that system gets tired out. The pituitary is like, oh, not again, not again. Is this emergency again? Is, is it like the boy who cried wolf or is there really an emergency? Are you just watching TV and it looks like there's a stressor? Do you really need to run away from a tiger? So it gets to the point where it's not functioning properly and the signals are not functioning properly. And then we don't have the right response to stress. Yeah, I can see a lot of that or just that being particularly taxed. You mentioned with things like television or screens or things, and I'm sure there's lots of little ways that that is activated and really like just hit on that we're not adapted to in biological sense, but it's just a part of everyday life that we even take for granted the possibility. And you mentioned like these elevated levels of cortisol. One thing from my personal experience that I was speaking with you about is when your hormones are dysregulated or you're experiencing gut dysbiosis or blood sugar or any of these things, you're never clear enough of mind to think, wow, the gut dysbiosis is really bad today. I'm irritable. Huh? Never. Even if you've been at this for a long time and the incredible potential of like what's on the other side for people you know, when we can really, the, the feelings and how you see the world and, and just getting these things regulated is so powerful for our clients beyond just what we see in the labs. Absolutely. And that's why observation, I'm really a big fan of good history taking, but more than that is monitoring on a day-to-day -day basis. What are some of the things that cause you to feel like you want to bite somebody's head off? What are some of the things that you do that cause you to feel good and healthy and happy. Like you go and, you know, lay in the ocean and float around a little bit and you feel on top of the world and you go and go to the store and you have to deal with the crowds and, and suddenly you're hangry because I need food and we need food to fill that gap and give us the energy to deal with some of these day-to-day -day stressors. Absolutely. And when we say day to day, one of the things that obviously you've, you've already hinted at is also the night to night or circadian rhythms. And I'm guessing this is also a thing. There are some times where I wonder if this has to do with adrenal function that 
there's been times where, yeah, I feel like my system isn't good. And I wake up with anxiety in the middle of the night. You know, I think some people call it the witching hour, but I feel like it has some connection with blood sugar, adrenals. And I think that there's lots of things that when our circadian rhythm is disrupted, it can influence and the other way around. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, you're right that it could be blood sugar. So you wake up in the middle of the night, say you've had a high glycemic meal at dinner and it causes your sugar to go up and insulin comes up really high levels and tries to bring that down. And by two in the morning, maybe it's like plummeting and it goes too low. And then it sends a signal to your body through the HPA axis. It says, hey, stress, we don't have enough sugar in the system. Let's get some more so we produce cortisol. When you produce cortisol in the middle of the night, guess what? It doesn't make you sleep soundly. It makes you wake up. And there's an expression I was about to say, sleep like a baby. That makes you sleep like a baby. Babies don't sleep well. So we need to throw that expression out. Oh, I'm going to sleep like a baby. Okay, that means you're going to wake up every two or three hours to be fed. Excuse me? That's not what I want. And that's what happens with babies. They're very regulated and they've just got this much fuel to go on and then they wake up because they need more fuel and the cortisol goes up and it says, hey, baby, scream and yell, wake up, mama, mama will feed you. That's not what we want. But what that happens to us when we're not careful about what we eat, when we eat too close to bedtime, we talked about this in one of the other episodes, if you eat too close to bedtime, it causes an increase in cortisol. It blunts the increase in growth hormone that's supposed to happen right at the beginning of your sleep that helps you to repair and store lean muscle tissue and you know good stuff, burn fat while you sleep. And instead, you're in this cortisol state, which is going to help you to stay awake. And then the insulin goes high. And then when the insulin comes back down again, if it goes too low, then we're going to wake up to try to feed. And that's not so good either. Excellent. Bringing that in, it seems like there's lots of individual cases is what seems to be the theme here. And there's lots of ways to do this safely and not safely. Is this a good place to transition into how we can make sure or just recap over some of the best strategies to make sure that this is safe and supportive of adrenal health? instead of the other way around. Absolutely, because we want those benefits. We want the blood sugar regulation. We want to have more ketones and burn fat. We want to be able to have the autophagy going on, which happens when we're in a fasted state and eat up all those old debris type cells. But how do we do it safely? And again, it's low and slow. We try it. When I look at this, I talk to people about fasting windows. They go, oh, I hear about intermittent fasting, so I'm not going to skip breakfast. Like you said right at the beginning, I'm just going to skip breakfast. That's not what intermittent fasting means. It doesn't mean skip breakfast. It means space your meals so that you have a concentrated eating window and then a concentrated fasting window. I've worked with people- And of course, I'm going to drink my coffee. I'm going to skip breakfast, but I'll still have coffee. Your coffee, which stimulates spite, <laughs> that whole cortisol thing, and it keeps the cortisol in your system longer, which puts you into this whole dysregulated state. Like I said before, I don't usually say get rid of the coffee first, but we try to wean away from it. Coffee's like beating a dead horse, you know, or a tired out horse. It's like, off, 
Whereas these are actually stimulating your cells to have more energy, the mitochondria to make more ATP and give you more energy. So it's finding that window. I've worked with people who, if they don't eat in the morning and they extend their fasting window to noon or even sometimes two o'clock, they feel phenomenal and they can space their meals from like noon to eight or something like that. And they feel great. I've worked with others that if they don't eat first thing in the morning, they're toast. <laughs> they become breakfast. They don't want to deal with life. They get hangry. They get all those things, but they do really well if they eat, say from eight in the morning, six in the morning, whatever, until two, three, or four o'clock in the afternoon, and then they stop. And then they go to bed on an empty stomach. But you have to find that window that works for you, the length of the window, but also the timing of the window. So what I normally recommend if somebody's going from the typical eat every two hours, eat all day, don't pay any attention. Like, let's find a 12-hour window that you can eat and fast. That's pretty straightforward. You get up, you eat at eight in the morning, you finish your dinner at eight at night, and then you don't eat anything before bed. It's going to help you fall asleep better. You're going to get better sleep. You're not going to get these ups and downs in cortisol and insulin when we really want growth hormone. And quite frankly, cortisol and insulin displace growth hormones. So they go, bye, we're taking your place. And then you don't get the effects of cleanup overnight and storage of good lean muscle and burning of fat. So we look at that and we start with that and just see how that goes. If you feel like you want to extend it, extend it, but decide and figure out, is it best to extend your fasting window to 13 hours by eating later in the morning or eating earlier in the evening? And we can compress it testing. We are our own human experiments. We are our own labs. And just because it works for your neighbor next door doesn't mean it works for you. For me personally, I have to do an early fasting window. Like I need to eat later in the day versus eating earlier in the day because somehow once I start eating, I don't want to stop. And so I just like if I start eating at 10 in the morning, I'm going to eat all the way till eight at night. That's not a great fasting window for me. So that's what works for me. But I have worked with people who that works beautifully. They eat a, a breakfast, they eat a second meal at you know midday, and then they eat their third meal at four in the afternoon and they're done. And they go to bed on an empty stomach. And actually a lot of studies have shown that that earlier eating window is better physiologically for a lot of people in terms of weight loss and autophagy and all that than the later one. But you have to find the one that works for you, not the one that is a textbook correct that's what is super important with all of this. Excellent. Well, I feel like we've covered the full range from how to see this as an individual and the benefits and some of the detriments. Is there anything else that you would like to leave us with or wrap this up in conclusion of? No, I think we kind of hit it all. I think when we're working with patients and clients, we need to treat them as individuals. There's no one size fits all. I always talk about, right, if we took the population and we said, you take the whole population of the United States and you average out their shoe sizes, you may come up with an average shoe size. And then if you bought enough shoes for everybody in the United States at that average shoe size, there's going to be this small population that it actually works for. Because just like with shoe sizes, there's no one size fits all diet. There's no one size fits all supplement plan. A lot of people are like, oh, I went and I got this adrenal test and I had some problems, so I'm going to take ashwagandha and licorice root. 
there's reason some people shouldn't take ashwagandha or licorice root. And it doesn't mean I really like people to work individually with a practitioner, but as a practitioner, you can work with groups and you can teach them how to identify what works for them. I do that all the time. And we'll look at lab testing and say, if you have this, this means this. If you have that, this means that. And it empowers them to make decisions, but with the guidance of a trained practitioner. And that's what we teach people in our programs. We teach people how this thing works, this body works from head to toe, all the organs, all the glands, the digestive system, the skin, the kidneys, et cetera. How does it work so that when they start to talk about their symptoms, we can put it all together. And that's what I love. I love teaching that. Well, great. Well, I feel more empowered as a result of sitting in. So thank you. Well, thank you for doing this. And for you guys listening who are health practitioners, know that you can go out for all the in-depth training we have at inemethod.com. And you can just kind of get a sense of that. You can go to reinventhealthcare.com forward slash adrenals and download our adrenal guide and listen to the podcast episodes, the ones preceding this, if you haven't, the ones on thyroid, the ones we have on functional food, the ones we have on immune system. We just have a plethora of 60 something episodes of really great content on the podcast at reinventhealthcare.com. Get out there, do your thing, empower people to be their best advocate, to make decisions not based on what they heard on the latest summit or the latest podcast, but what works inside their bodies. Fasting can be an amazing tool if it's used right in the right people. It's not a one size fits all. People with adrenal fatigue can fast. People with adrenal fatigue may not do well with fasting and they may not do well with the same kind of fasting as somebody who doesn't have it. Take charge, teach people how to do this, and until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.